The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please open them up to James chapter 3. Uh, we are walking through the book of James. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are hardback black Bibles under every single chair. We're not really like verse on screen type people here. I want you to see this. So open a phone or a tablet. James chapter 3 is uh, in those hardback black Bibles on page 1012. James 3 is where we're going to be today. And today's a, kind of a loaded uh, loaded bag at a certain level because it's Halloween, right? And so Christians, I know, are kind of divided on this thing. Even in this room, I'm sure if we took a poll, half of you were like, that's Satan's holiday, no, no chance. And the other half of you are like, yeah, we can do some fun stuff, but we're not going to like sacrifice any children, which is good, right? <laughs> Although you might after trick-or-treating and a couple of rounds of candy. Um, but I do want you to know that, that it's more than Halloween. October 31st is actually Reformation Day. So... <laughs> The Christians rejoice. There's something else that's going on today as well. On October 31st, 1517, so just over 500 years ago, Martin Luther, not King, okay, the, the OG Martin Luther, okay, Martin Luther, he nailed his 95 theses to the door at All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, essentially starting what's known as the Protestant Reformation, okay? And I've read the 95 theses. They're real interesting. They're hard to read because they're kind of, They've been translated from German, but he's basically saying this, I got 95 problems and the Pope is one. That's just a summary, okay? It's a modern interpretation and summary. So whether you celebrate Halloween or don't, we have something we can join in on celebrate. Okay, October 31 is a good day. Um, I just want you to know my family does a little bit of Halloween stuff. We're not crazy. We don't decorate, but we do a little Halloween stuff. We're going to trick or treat tonight with some of our neighbors. And uh, when I asked my daughter Harper, she is six, what she wanted to be for Halloween this year, she said she wanted to be a cat. Now, I don't know if that was to, just, to disturb me, like perturb me at that point. Like, I don't, if, you're, if you're a part of this church, I don't dig on cats all that much. I, I actually rag on cats a lot, okay? But, um, but she, I don't know if she really wanted to be a cat, but either way, I wasn't going to crush her little spirit. So I was like, fine, fine, you can be a cat. Um, well, last year we did a family costume, which, you know, she won't want to do that with me very much longer. Like she won't want dad to dress up with her much longer. So last year we dressed up as Toy Story. Here's a picture of this. Yeah, there we go. I had to shave to be Woody the cowboy. Um, but this year, you know, Harper says, hey, I'm going to be a cat. And I, I said, well, I guess there won't be a family costume this year then. Right? <laughs> Like, I guess there's not a costume that goes with cat. And she said, this is what she says verbatim. Dad, I'll be a cat. Mom can be a ball of string. You can be my litter box. <laughs> so she's either evil or brilliant. We're not sure. This is additionally why I don't dress up in costume on Sunday morning when it's Halloween to preach. Many of you have asked me in the hallway, why aren't you dressed up? Because I didn't want like little Tootsie Rolls glued to me <laughs> and have to try and explain that to you. So, yeah. Um, hey, with Halloween today, our text lends itself perfectly to that because on the day that some will link specifically with Satan or the devil, it's providential that we would be looking at a text that's concerned in part with the devil himself. 
So uh, we are now seven weeks into this book of James series, and we're going to finish chapter three today. And here's what we've seen running through this entire book. One main theme, and it's this. How do you know if you have genuine faith? How do you know if what you have that you say is faith is real, is saving, is genuine? How do you know? Well, we've seen James teaches us that genuine faith perseveres in trials, In suffering and in trials, it perseveres. We saw that genuine faith doesn't simply hear the word, right? But but does the word, is active. We saw that genuine faith does not show partiality or discrimination against others. That speaks pretty heavy into our world today. Genuine faith is, is manifested in good works. We saw that. And then last week, we saw that genuine faith shows up in a controlled and godly use of our tongues in our speech, That's what we talked about last week. Today, we're going to move on to the next trait of genuine faith, and that's this. Genuine faith exhibits godly wisdom. It exhibits godly wisdom. So we're talking about wisdom today, okay? Um, And we talked about this a couple years back in our 1 Corinthians series. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about wisdom in 1 Corinthians. And the Greek word that is translated into our New Testament's wisdom is actually the Greek word sophos or sophia, sophia which is where we get the English word sophisticated, okay? That's where we get these ideas. And I just want to argue today that all people value the idea of wisdom or sophistication. Everybody values this. Even secular people value the idea of wisdom. But today, James is going to offer us two competing types of wisdom. He's going to contrast, as it were, human wisdom and then up against godly wisdom. And he's going to do some work here, and I think it's really helpful for us. So here we go. James chapter 3. If you've got your text open, I hope you do. Look at verse 13. James 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise, there's that word, and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. All right, let's just stop right there. That's like the introduction, okay? This is James linking his previous thoughts and the previous uh, words that we talked about last week with his current thought, and he's bringing up the topic of wisdom. So remember, this is this book, it's a letter. It's not meant to be like diced up over the course of three months like we're going to do, okay? This is actually meant to be read in, in entirety, and the themes carry from week to week. So this is him kind of transitioning to the topic of wisdom, but he's doing right on the heels of, uh, 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 doing so right on the heels of all he's already said. Remember, he's already said these things. He's, he's constantly essentially saying, prove it, right? You say you believe in God, prove it. Prove it with your works. You say you hear the word of God, show it, like show it in your actions. You say you love God, demonstrate it with your words. That's what he's been saying. And now he offers like the rhetorical question again. Hey, you think you're wise? You say that you have wisdom? Show it in your behavior. Evidence that you do actually have godly wisdom by how you live. So remember what we said a few weeks ago, okay? Wisdom is not synonymous with knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are not, it, wisdom does not mean I have information. Because then anybody with an iPhone and Google would have wisdom. And that ain't true, right? <laughs> wisdom is not what you know. Wisdom is how you live. Wisdom is how you live the things that you 
No, and this is all connected to what we've seen in the last seven weeks. So, so here's what he's going to do. He's going to take a few verses, and he's going to talk about human wisdom. And he's going to take a couple more verses, and he's going to talk about godly wisdom. And we're going to compare and contrast the two. So here we go. Verses 14 through 16, James gives us the profile for human wisdom. Let me read this. Verses 14 through 16. This is human wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. I think it's helpful that James acknowledges that there's multiple views on what wisdom is. He acknowledges that there is a Sophia, a wisdom that comes from above. That is godly wisdom. But he also acknowledges that there is a Sophia, and he says, that does not come from above. And we're going to call that human wisdom today. And he says, it's wisdom, but it's just of a different type. It's of a different sort. It's of a different origin. And there's a lot there but uh, in those three verses we read, but I want to focus in on three aspects that we see in the middle section of human wisdom. So in verse 15, the three markers of uh, uh, this, this kind of human wisdom, uh, he says that it is earthly, he says that it's unspiritual, and he says that it's demonic. And then he says there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happens if you're following that kind of wisdom. We'll get to that. But, but these are three interesting traits, really interesting traits that James brings up because ancient Christians believed that there were three enemies to the soul. Do you know what those three enemies are? The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what historically Christians have, have seen as the three enemies that war against us. And you notice the parallel here in James. Okay, James is saying, hey, this wisdom that does not come from above, this humanly wisdom is of what? Well, it's earthly. That's the world. He says it's unspiritual. That could actually be translated sensual. Okay, that's the flesh. And then the third one is easy. It's demonic. That's the devil. The word, the flesh, and, or world, the flesh, and the devil, all as traits of human Wisdom. This is the characteristics. These characterize all human wisdom apart from godly wisdom. And again, providentially, just like providentially we're in this text on Halloween, providentially, I just finished reading a book by another pastor named John Mark Comer, and it's called Live No Lies, which deals specifically with these three enemies. And so I'm going to lean into that content a little bit on this, this sermon, but, but we're going to talk about these three traits of human wisdom. But before we get into those three things, let me give a disclaimer because here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to shut your brain off right now. And here's why I think you might be tempted to do that. I think you might be tempted to think that human wisdom is something that's out there. Like it's outside of here, the church. Like it's something that they deal with, but we've got godly wisdom because we're Christians, right? But I want just to remind us who James is writing to. Who's he writing to? Have you been here? Christians, yeah. He's writing to Christians. 
He's talking to Christians about how to know that their faith is genuine, is real. And so these two types of wisdoms, this human wisdom and this godly wisdom, they are at war within every single one of us. They're at war with us. So Comer uses the illustration of running. If you're a runner, uh, I run. I'm not a runner. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about? Like I don't have any short shorts with a slit up the side. Does that help? (laughs) Doesn't help. Craig? No. Okay. Comer uses an illustration of running, okay? And and so imagine you're out for a run. I know some of that's easy for you to do. Some of you, it's hard to picture. But just you're out for a run. And as you go running, imagine you do an out and back, okay? And as you're running out, you have the wind against your back, just kind of pushing you forward, giving you like an extra step. You kind of feel its momentum, and you feel like, man, I'm just killing it today. I am running. I'm a runner. I'm getting me some shorts, right? Like, that's probably what's going on in your head. That is till you, till you turn 180 degrees, right? And it's fascinating how quickly... You feel like you've got the wind at your back. You turn 180 degrees and you start running into a headwind. And with that wind at your face, it is now working against you. And it makes every step a struggle as you run into the wind. You feel sluggish. You feel the struggle. You are in a battle at that moment to not just stop, lay down and call an Uber, right? And that's what human wisdom is. It's like a headwind. It's this oppositional force working against you and me as we run the race of following Christ. It's this wind, and it makes each step a battle. So it's not something out there. It's not just for for those people. It's not for your coworkers or your friends or your family or your unsaved neighbors. Yes, it is, but it's not. It's for you. It's for us. It's for me. It's in each one of us right now, and we have to learn how to fight against this. So what I'd like to do with the rest of our time is work through these three enemies of the soul um, that animate this human wisdom, uh, and and then we're going to work at three kind of counter punches to these three. So here we go. Let's start with the idea that human wisdom is earthly or the world. The world. Here's how Comer defines the world. I'll put this up here for y'all. The world is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into a culture, rebelling against God and redefining good and evil. That's a lot, but that's how he defines it. And here's the illustration, okay? In the year 2000, okay, Y2K, Y2K, uh, which is before college students, some of y'all were born, right? Yes, okay, so uh, pre-birth for some of y'all. But many of us remember something. Many of us remember something revolutionary that happened in 2000, and it was a little file-sharing program called Napster. Remember Napster? Any of you? Okay, good. Uh, With Napster, you could network all computers that were on the internet, apparently, all over the world to download pirated music and burn it to CDs. That's what Napster did. To our college students here, okay, uh, burning a CD is not what it sounds like. All right. There's no fire involved. Just, I don't know. Okay. Imagine, imagine Spotify without cell service. That's uh, okay. It's like downloading the songs before you do that for offline use and putting them on a four and three quarters inch plastic disc. Okay. That's essentially what burning CDs is, but it, okay. So it's 2000, the year 2000, uh, and the band Metallica, um, college students, that's a band that your parents loved. Um, but the band Metallica, uh, recorded a a song for an upcoming soundtrack for a movie, and they woke up one morning 
to find that song being played on radio stations all around the world. But here's the thing. They hadn't released it yet. Actually, they hadn't even finished mastering it. The track wasn't even done at that point. And so they traced it all the way back to this program, Napster. And thus begins one of the most infamous fights in music history, okay? Um, Metallica sued Napster for $10 million on the grounds of copyright infringement, and it just got heated. Like, the, the, the founder of Napster showed up at the MTV Music Awards with a Metallica t-shirt on. It was, I mean, it was, like, it was, it was like when rappers kind of diss each other in tracks, but just before rap got really awesome, Okay. That's kind of what's going on here. Now, now here's the case. Napster made a case. Napster's case was this. Metallica's rich. <laughs> Metallica is so gosh darn rich, and we're poor college kids. Can I get a witness, right? <laughs> we don't even have the money to buy their record, but they're so rich. What's the big deal if we download their song? Like, what's the, who's it going to hurt? Metallica's case was, that's stealing. <laughs> and stealing is wrong. <laughs> and here's the truth. Metallica was right. Metallica was right. Stealing is a moral taboo in pretty much every human culture in history. In history. This might be the only time in history where uh, Metallica has been used to illustrate godly wisdom in a sermon. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, in a moment of honesty, and I know this is church, it's no place to be honest, but if you are honest with me, by a show of hands, how many people here have ever imbibed in listening to burned CDs of illegally downloaded music? College students, this is a thing? <laughs> I, my, my hand is up not to be a, like, I actually did this, okay? Um, it, it, it's true. I mean, I'll admit it. I did this. Now, hear me. Even though the legal and ethical right and wrong were crystal clear, the legal and ethical right and wrong of the situation was clear, even though that was the case, still many, if not most people, moved the moral line to make Napster socially acceptable. Okay? Even more so. Around 2000 is when I became a Christian, Okay, so if you were in a conservative Christian youth group at that point, as I had just become, and someone offered you, say, the new Switchfoot album, okay, burned on an illegally obtained Napster account onto a CD, and you said this, like you were trying to take the moral high ground, and you said, sorry, man, I don't steal. Like you weren't trying to, like, badmouth, you just said, sorry, no, thank you, I, 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 don't, I don't steal, I'll buy my music, if you did that, very often you would be uh, hated on with the retort, who are you to judge, bro? Who are you to judge? It, it's, you see, the morality of judging your friends had become more wrong and stealing was just fine. This is the wisdom of the world. Ideas, values, morals, practices, and norms that are now culturally accepted but are in rebellion against God and redefine good and evil. Do you see what happened? Stealing was no longer the great sin, but judging, don't judge me, bro. This is the wisdom of the world. Now, pirating music might be kind of far from our minds today, but, but lest we think we are unstained by the wisdom of the world, just think about some of these things, okay? In our world, 
Lust has now been redefined as love. You should just say it. I lust you. That's what you should say, okay? Marriage is not a covenant of lifelong fidelity, but it's a contract for personal fulfillment. Okay, divorce is an act of courage and authenticity rather than a breaking of vows. Objectification of women is lauded as female empowerment. Greed is now responsibility to shareholders. Environmental degradation is process, right? Hear me, here's two. Racism is a past issue. Marxism is total justice. And notice, I just took one from each side of the political aisle. Okay, because both sides of the aisle politically are filled with human wisdom. And I know I just preached on abortion a few weeks ago, but I can't think of a more egregious example than this. The greatest infanticide in human history cast as reproductive justice. And it's widely accepted. Every follower of of Jesus has to constantly ask this question. In what ways have I been assimilated into the world? Where have I drifted? Where am I believing in human wisdom? And Christians here today, if you're a Christian here today, the great temptation for you, for me, is not a drift towards atheism. It's not a drift towards unbelief, but rather towards worldliness with a little Jesus sprinkled over top. This is the world. This is the world. Next trait, number two, human wisdom. It's unspiritual, okay? This could be translated natural, sensual, or fleshly. So the flesh, okay? The world and the flesh. The flesh is our base primal, animalistic drive for self-gratification, especially as it pertains to sensuality and survival. It's this undergirding for us. The flesh shows up in the world in lots of popular slogans such as these. The heart wants what it wants. Follow your heart. Follow your heart, right? You do you. Just do it, right? Nike, they picked up on this. Speak your truth. Be true to yourself. This is where it shows up. And actually, it's summed up perfectly uh, in the words of the modern prophet uh, Elsa from Disney's Frozen. It, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. You've been discipled by her as well, I see. Self is the new God. In the flesh, self is the new God. This is the wisdom of the flesh. But I just want, <laughs> there's so much social psychology that's secular around this, but, but here's some, some thoughts here. The things that we do, do something to us. The more you imbibe in your flesh, it changes you. Okay, they shape, the things you do, it shapes the people you 
are becoming? What's the wisdom you're listening to? Is it this fleshly wisdom? Because we make our decisions, but then our decisions make us. You do you sounds awesome unless you do you in a way that's leading you to be some you that you don't want to be. It's the flesh, the world, the flesh. The third way James describes this human wisdom is he calls it demonic. He calls it demonic. The word, the flesh, and the devil. The devil. The devil is a real, immaterial, but intelligent being whose end goal is to spread ruin in our souls and our society with his primary means of lies. So if you took our spiritual warfare class this past summer, which is online, if you want to listen to it uh, anytime, Gary, one of our elders, taught that class. We talked a lot about this idea, the lies of the enemy. But in John chapter 8, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. Lies are his native tongue, what the text tells us. His main method, the enemy's main method is lies. His main method is deception. Listen to me. It's not possession. It's not you turning green, crawling on the ceiling and foaming at the mouth. It's not what Hollywood has shown you that it's levitating above your bed or something. No, his main move is to just whisper lies to you all day long. Lies that come forth as deceptive ideas. This is the devil's primary method of enslaving human beings and societies in this vicious cycle of ruin. So he uses the word. He uses the word against us. He uses the world. He uses the flesh. He uses all these things. I mean, we talk about spiritual warfare, but the primary way that the devil wars against us is with lies. You are in a battle between lies and the truth every day of your life. Here's some examples, okay? Some insidious ways that lies can creep into our lives. Here's here's a lie. I can't trust my wife. She'll cheat on me just like my mom cheated on my dad. Good things don't happen to me, so why would I even try? If I had that thing, then I'd be happy. My best days, they're all behind me. It's a lie. God would never choose me, not after how I've lived. Stepping out in faith like this will end in disaster for me. I can't. If anyone actually knew me, they'd reject me. These are the type of lies that prey on our souls. Notice they're not completely untrue. Like maybe some of those lies made sense to you at a certain level. They're not completely untrue because the most effective lies are the ones that are mostly true. (laughs) It's like 90% true. This is the type of wisdom, okay? This fleshly wisdom, hear me. I mean, this demonic wisdom, hear me. It's, it's going to sound right. This is the problem with the, the devil and his lies. It's going to sound right. It's going to feel right. It's going to promise you something, but it's meant to get you to love someone or something other than Jesus. That's what the lies of the enemy will do. And that thing is ultimately out to kill you. It doesn't feel like it at the moment, but it's ultimately out to kill you. Here's one. You deserve to be happy. And if you're honest, you haven't been happy in your marriage in years. 
It happens. You were just married way too young. Hey, maybe if you were to divorce, there's bound to be someone else who would be a better fit for you and, and maybe for them. And then you'd be happy. It's gonna sound right. We sin because we believe this human wisdom. We believe a lie about what will make us happy. This is human wisdom. It's characterized by the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? James says in those verses that it manifests in these things, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, falsities, disorder, and here he just throws one on for the end, just in case you were were worried, and every vile practice, It's like the junk drawer of vile. He's like, yeah, that's all of it. These are not the things that we want, people. No one, even if you're a secularist, no one's like, I'll take that list, please. Every vile thing, put it in my bag. Thank you. Yet it's rampant. It's rampant in our churches, y'all. Remember, James is warning to those who, who believe they're Christians. And he's saying, hey, don't just make sure your faith is genuine. There's a whole breed of wisdom out there that's here to undermine and undercut your genuine profession of faith. But then he gives us the antidote, okay? Godly wisdom. He says there's this human wisdom, but then there's this godly wisdom. And he lays it out in verse, verses 17 and 18. Look at this. But the wisdom from above, okay, there's the one that's from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. These are the traits of godly wisdom that James lists. And hear me, these are the things that we do want, right? Purity, peace, gentleness, reasonability, mercy, good fruit, like these are good things that we all want, but the question is, how do we get there? How do we get that godly wisdom infused in our lives? Like, how do we battle this human wisdom that seems so pervasive, even in our lives, in my life? How do we persevere in godly wisdom? Well, let me make three responses to the three enemies of our souls. These are like the counter punches, the counter winds, okay? This is the wind at your back. This is the wind that fights the wind it's at your front, okay? We can think of these as the opposing forces to the opposing forces, okay? So the world, the flesh, and the devil, we're gonna take them in reverse order. Let's, let's work through them. To battle the devil, those with genuine faith use the word. If you wanna do battle with the devil, you use the word. And to quote Jesus again from John 8, I put this up there, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now that's from the exact same statement where, where, where Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He calls him the father of lies and he says, but you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That means that the battle of lies that the enemy is waging against us, the way we battle that is to war against him with truth. We use the word of God to war against the lies of the enemy. So uh, consider Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Okay, you don't need to turn there, but Matthew 4 and Luke 4 are the two gospel records of Jesus being tempted by the devil, being tempted by Satan in the desert. And in both accounts, uh, to the lies and the accusations of the enemy, Jesus responds on repeat by quoting the word of God. 
right? He quotes the scriptures. And and listen, we do the same. That's how we fight the lies of the enemy. We fight the devil's lies by choosing, hear me, not to think about them. But as you all know, you can't stop thinking about things, right? You hear that lie and you can't think about nothing. And so what Jesus is saying, you should give your mind over to something else to think about in those moments. And that's when you open the scriptures, to the lie that maybe I'd be happier if we got divorced. You, you look to the gospel of Matthew about what Jesus says about divorce. You look to Genesis chapter two about what God says about marriage. You use the word of God. You replace the devil's lies with the true words of the scripture. This is why I think James is bringing this up to Christians. Okay, because I think most of us don't even think we're in a fight with the devil. I mean, if we're honest, we don't really think that we're in a fight with Satan. We read James' list here of godly wisdom traits, and we're just like, oh yeah, I'm open to reason. I'm open to reason, I'm impartial, and I'm certainly sincere. I don't know what's in that drawer full of vileness, but I'm not there. And you read that, but James is writing to Christians. And his warning is, the devil is aggressively working against you, and hear hear me, he's better at it than you are. Because he's been doing it since the creating of Satan. What, you've been around 40, 50, 60 years? You can battle him without the time-tested, genuinely inspired by the Holy Spirit words of God? Good luck. Good luck. The devil is warring against us. And in Ephesians 6, in that passage that's about the whole armor of God, you remember what the word of God is supposed to be? The sword right? It's a sword. What is a sword? It's a weapon. The sword is a weapon. Now, why would you need a weapon? Because you're in a war. The only reason you wouldn't want a weapon is if you didn't believe you were going to be attacked. We're in a war. And when you're in a war, you want a weapon. And the word of God is that weapon. That's why we study the scriptures. That's why we preach the scriptures. That's why we submit ourselves to the scriptures. So that's how we battle the devil. Now onto the flesh. We battle the flesh with the cross. Galatians 5 tells us this. Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So how do we fight our flesh? We crucify it. We nail it to the cross. It's how Jesus overcame sin and death. And it's how we fight our flesh. Let's take a break and do an illustration here, okay? I was a youth pastor for 10 years before uh, we planted the church here. And one of the things that we did was we took kids to Juarez, Mexico. Uh, so, so that we could, it was like a mission trip to build homes in Juarez. We take them down south of the border. Um, and on one such trip, we took a bunch of uh, junior high and high school kids down to Juarez. And if you've been to Juarez, Mexico, it's not like, is it okay to say that there's not many good places in Mexico? It's not like good Mexico. Uh, Juarez is not like vacation Mexico. It's not like cheap honeymoon Mexico, okay? It's pretty bad. But if you've been, uh, there are stray animals everywhere. Stray animals all over the place, dogs, cats, all kind of critters. They're just all over the place in Mexico. But on this trip, one of our junior high girls took a liking to the stray cats that would come around the work site. And she would like cuddle them and like bring them food. And I just kept my distance, right? Because it's like, well, you know, like 
cats, okay? Uh, and, and so one of the street cats in Mexico really took a liking to this junior high girl in our group. Listen to me. Probably because she was giving it food. Okay? Um, but we got on the bus. You know, she was very sad to see all these cats and these dogs go. We got back on the bus to head to America. And the girl tried to sneak in her bag this cat back to the United States until we heard it mewing in her duffel <laughs> on the bus near me. Okay? I was like, get that thing off the bus. No, it doesn't love you. You fed it. It loves food, not you. It will scratch you. It loves food. And she told me, these are her words, God's calling me to save all the homeless Mexican cats. <laughs> and I told her that God was not calling her to that. And we ditched that gato, okay? Um, <laughs> Now, I was reading a newspaper article, which can tell you how long ago that was, but I was reading a newspaper article about an Argentinian woman who adopted a street cat, very similar to this girl in my youth group, and she took it in, and she named it, and she fed it, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it turned out this cute, cuddly little feline was actually a puma. Another reason not to like cats, okay? <laughs> and I know I use this illustration all the time, but church, all too often, this is what we do with our sinful flesh. We treat it like a pet. And we let it come into our lives when it's small and it's cute and it's innocent and it's seemingly inconsequential, but it'll grow. And oh, by the way, it's a flipping puma. It will grow and it will grow. And listen to me, one day it will attack you because it's a predator and it will take you down. It will take you down. And what the cross bids us to do, the cross, the cross, what it bids us to do is to crucify our flesh. It bids us come and die. And that means you take that puma and you don't bring it on the bus and put it in your duffel bag and bring it home with you to train it and cuddle it and name it and put it in your closet, okay? Keep it as a pet. But rather you take that puma out into the street and you put two bullets in the back of its head. Just turn that thing 90 degrees, do it executioner style, okay? Does that seem harsh? It's not. It is not. You better start killing your sin before it kills you. And those two bullets that you need to put in the back of the head of your little pet sin is this, confession and repentance. You drag that sin into the light because hear me, they love to grow in the dark, private places of your world. But you drag that thing out into the street, in the street lights, under with everyone around and you put two bullets into it. The first one is confession. You tell someone about it. You cannot kill sin on your own. Anybody ever make a New Year's resolution that you failed to keep through January 3rd? Just proved it. You can't keep your word to yourself. 
confess it, and then the second bullet is you repent. You turn away from that dead carcass and say, no more. I'm not interested in that anymore. That's what repent means. It means change direction. Don't give your sin a chance to kill you. Rather, put it to death. Don't manage your flesh. Don't train your flesh. Don't try and keep it in check. You launch a militant campaign against it to kill it. So you battle the devil with the word. You battle the flesh with the cross. And finally, you battle the world with the church. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. (laughs) There's a way that seems right. It seems right, but it leads to death. Statistically, now hear me, statistically, those who claim to be Christians are moving away from the church in droves. Statistically speaking, moving away from the church. What I hear uh, all too often is this. I can be a Christian and not go to church. I can be a Christian and not go to church. Okay, I, I, I don't have to go to church service or be a church member or, or have a committed relationship with other people in a church to be a follower of Jesus. It's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. They use the Reformation. That's how you are saved, not by being a part of a church. But, but now, it's true, but it's not true. It's actually partially a lie. Who uses lies? Remind me again. But remember what I said earlier, the great temptation for us in the West is not towards atheism. It's not towards no faith. Rather, it's towards this DIY, do-it-yourself faith. This is the temptation for each one of us. You know what? I, I'm going to mix some Christianity, a little meditation from some Buddhist stuff, you know, a little consumerism, some secular sex ethics, because that stuff is whack in the Bible. Nobody thinks that way anymore. So I'll just kind of adopt that part, and then I'll just kind of add some radical individualism all together, and I've got Christianity. But I just need you to know, you need the church if you ever want to have a fighting chance against the, the world. We're going to talk at length about this next week, but, but listen, how many hours, how many dozens of hours do you have of secular programming all week long coming into your minds? It's called Netflix, and it's a tool of the devil. That's the exact quote that I want on Twitter this week, okay? (laughs) I love Netflix just as much as y'all, okay? But but listen, after those hours and hours and hours of just taking in news and social media and TV and music and billboards and ads and apps and everything, we need the anchor of Sunday gatherings to recenter our minds on the truth and to open our hearts back up to God. You need it for healing, for renewal. And while the church is not less than Sunday services, it's far more. It's far more than that. It must become a thick web of interdependent relationships between disciples of Christ if we're to stave off the world infringing in our mind space. The call to follow Jesus is a call to join his community, the church. And I know it's not sexy to say, I go to church. But I think it's the only way to fight the world. 
So this is godly wisdom versus human wisdom. James, I think, is following a clear line of thought, y'all. From, from, from the beginning of this book to where we're at, if one professes to be a Christian, you got to prove it by living like a Christian. Genuine faith is revealed in the way we live through godly wisdom. So I just want to end with this. Ask yourself this. Just ask yourself, do I have the wisdom of God? <laughs> do I have the wisdom of God or am I believing human wisdom in some areas of my life? If you don't know the answer, you have to examine your life. It's found in looking at your life. And I pray the spirit opens our eyes and our minds to some things that we might need to shoot today. Some cats in our life. Are you more influenced by the world, the flesh, and the devil, or by the word, the cross, and the church? God, help us. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for this, this passage from, from your servant, James. Lord, we're grateful for the wise words about wisdom from James. We thank you for this stark contrast between the wisdom that is natural, that is humanly, that is worldly, that's fleshly, that's actually from the devil himself. And, and we thank you that we have lenses to look through called the gospel, that there is godly wisdom to be had. Holy Spirit, I pray you do work in each heart. You are the true preacher of Fathom Church. These words of mine are, unless you back them up, they are of, of complete worthlessness. So Holy Spirit, begin to preach to hearts. Begin to stir up realizations, areas we've been believing the world, areas we've been caving to our flesh areas where we're even hearing the lies and believing the lies of the devil. And Lord, today, through the power of your word, through the power of crucifixion and the cross, and through the power of your church, may you begin to make us whole. May you begin to help us do that battle. And we pick up the sword, as it were, and do the work we need. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the application for our hearts. We pray that it would take us deeper with you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.